On and off the field, women in sports are inspiring and motivating others to be the best versions of themselves, rewriting the rules and changing the game. This is the On Her Turf podcast, hosted by Katherine Tappen. Welcome to the On Her Turf podcast. I'm Katherine Tappen. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we are chatting with one of the greatest soccer stars our country has ever watched play, Hall of Famer Julie Foudy. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist and two-time FIFA Women's World Cup champ. She is the former captain of Team USA and currently serves as an analyst on ESPN's coverage of soccer. Julie, thank you so much for taking the time for joining us. We're so excited to have you. My pleasure. It's an honor. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I have to mention right off the bat that it was Mike Tarico that connected us. I've been hearing for all the years oh, that I've worked him. with Mike about how <laughs> amazing you are and how you and I would get along oh. great if we hung out. So he actually said that he might listen to this podcast, but he said, I already know everything there is to know about the two of you. So I, I guess the challenge for us over the next uh, 30 minutes is to figure out something that Mike does not know that we can enlighten him on. Uh, but... We will quiz him afterwards to see if he, yes, he listens. see if he listens. So, Julie, talk to us a little bit about what you've been up to lately. I know this isn't, you know, peak time for you, but what have you been doing? I'm actually trying to do what you're doing, Catherine. I'm, I'm just hanging off your coattails. I'm trying to do a little podcast myself, and we're going to launch it in March. And so I've been sitting down with various female athletes. My big uh, goal in life is to highlight more women who are athletes and rock stars because, as you know, it's a constant challenge uh, still to this day to, you know, to tell their stories and share their stories and get them the coverage I think they deserve. So over the course of, you know, the various things I've done beyond soccer, you just meet these amazing women all the time. And I'm like, gosh, we should be telling that story more. We should be hearing that story mm -hmm. and people should know that story. And so that's really the goal of this podcast I'm launching, which is going to be called Laughter Permitted. Oh, I love I was just going to ask you, what was the name of it? That's super exciting. I mean, this whole podcast thing, it's really taken off. Personally, I didn't listen to podcasts before last summer, really. I started getting into a couple of them. And then when they you know, pitched the idea for me to have a podcast, I really started listening to various political ones, entertainment ones, sports ones mm -hmm. to try and get an idea of what resonates with people. So I'm sure you've done your due diligence as well. And I know you don't want to give it all away, but what are your thoughts for your podcast? Kind of the direction you want to go, the time you want to make it? I mean, and what have you learned about this whole podcast world and your research uh, getting ready for your own? Well, the, the one thing I love, and as you know, with television, they say, hey, can you give us a really compelling story about this person? And, you know, you've got two and a half minutes. You know, and so you find yourself up against the clock all the time. And you, and with the lights on and the cameras rolling, I mean, it's a very different feel than when you're just sitting down. We often try and go to their house, and it's a very casual setting. And it's a very different feel. Like, you get into a totally different type of conversation in a podcast, which is what I really like. I wasn't sure if I was, honestly, I resisted for a long time and doing one because I was like, well, I don't know. And then after I did a couple test pods, Mia Hamm, who of course is a dear friend and Carrie Walsh Jennings, who is also a great friend, agreed to kind of do a test pod for us. And they both live fairly close to me in Los Angeles. And so, and it was so much fun because it's literally like a conversation. You're hanging out with your friends mm -hmm. and that's what I've really enjoyed. And you get to topics on a much deeper level. It's not just the surface TV stuff. It's them opening up about stuff that, you know, you wouldn't get to on a televised interview. And that's what I've been surprised by how much I've enjoyed it actually. So that's the fun part about it. Well, I will certainly be listening. I'm excited. And by the way, Carrie Walsh Jennings was our first guest on this on her turf podcast way Aww. back in September. Yeah. 
And it was great to have her on. I covered her in Rio for beach volleyball back in 2016 at the Olympics. And I mean, yeah, no, I mean, you just tee her up and she goes. You don't even have to have prepared right? thoughts, I know, exactly. which we do. But, I, you, well, don't and, even, you don't even need booze with Carrie. No, <laughs> that's right. Well, one of the other things that you did recently that I saw back in October was the ESPN Women in Sports Summit. It was a three-day event. I believe it was out there in California where you guys are. I mean, I saw it all over social media. I follow a lot of the U.S. women's hockey team, a lot of the soccer team, a lot of the broadcasters that I like Mm -hmm. to, you know, really listen and see what they're up to. I kind of wish I could have been a fly on the wall at that sports summit. It looked amazing. But take me back to that and what your favorite memory of it was when all was said and done. You know, we do the sports summit every year around October and usually here in California and Southern California at a, a great resort. And the nice thing about it is, of course, you have your breakout panels with athletes. Like we sat down with, a, you know, a bunch of the hockey players and you get, you know, various broadcasters on stage and commissioners and so forth. But it's nice because they also let you go, hey, do you want to go paddleboarding for two hours? Do you want to go run? Do you want yoga? Do you want meditation? <laughs> Which oh, is my kind awesome. of conference, really. Right. Yeah. So you get all the work done and then you go play and then you do a little bit more work and then you go play. So it's this wonderful balance of activity and talks and panels. But my favorite thing to do this year, I always do the, the voices of the future, the young kids, which is always fun because you get all these amazing young athletes coming through. Um, and we've had quite a few great ones come through that. But this year, I got to do the panel with the USA women's ice hockey team, as, as you were mentioning. And I know you cover this and follow this a lot. So, But I have always felt, you know, to what we started the podcast with about how, gosh, how are these women not getting more attention? How do we not know, you know, more people know about these women? Because as you know, Catherine, they're just salt of the earth, wonderful human beings who... You know, thankfully, after 20 years, we're able to to get over that hurdle and win another gold medal for the United States with women's ice hockey. And I just I love those women. They care so much about the game and the sport and growing the sport and in such a healthy, wholesome way. And so we got to kind of go through that whole last year and a half for them. And, you know, the contract negotiations and threatening to boycott the world championships and, the you know, the fear behind that and how they had the courage to stick together. Because the other thing that I'm very close with that is Cami Granado and their story from back in the early 2000s when she tried to do something very similar and couldn't get the team to stick together. And so fast forward 17 years later, they were finally able to pull it off, which was great for all of us who've been cheering them on for many years to see. Yeah, and just in general to women's sports and athletes coming up. I I loved that that U.S. women's hockey team, when they got back to the U.S., I mean, they went on a worldwide tour, and they are such tremendous role models. I'm I'm really glad you got to spend a lot of time with them because over the years of covering hockey and, you know, being in New England where a lot of them were training, I got to know some of them. And even going back to Sochi when I covered my first Olympics with them, and, I mean, they are – they are true trailblazers and awesome, awesome women to be around. But yeah. um, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, you know, take me back to that 1999 World Cup win where it was very similar. I mean, a huge moment in women's sports with you and your teammates, the highest attended women's sports game ever, over 90,000 fans. I mean, what did that do for your sport and you personally moving forward as well? I still can't believe it's 20 years when people say that to me this year. I'm like, what? No, that just <laughs> happened. You know, I think the thing we always, what I always loved about our national team um, in the sense of what we were talking about with women's ice hockey is it was an amazing group of women that I was surrounded with as teammates and who were incredibly competitive and we wanted to win everything, right? When we went into an Olympics, you know, people would say, what's your goal? It's like gold medal. When you go into a World Cup, what's your goal? To win it all. 
course it is, right? That's what we want to be standing on top of the podium. And that's the only mission we have. But they also have this incredible perspective about the sport being young in this country, and especially for young girls. And what could we do to grow the game for young women and girls so that they felt they had a chance to play at a higher level or they had an opportunity to play or if they didn't have an opportunity, they would ask for one and demand one. And so we always had this greater sense when with that tournament in particular of, you know, for example, FIFA wanted to do it in smaller venues and smaller stadiums regionally. They just wanted to keep it on the East Coast. And we right away were like, that's a terrible idea. It's a World Cup. It should be national it should be across the united states and we should do it in big stadiums and that uh, in itself was a very risky venture because people thought we were crazy like oh, what if people don't come and you have half empty stadiums and it's going to look bad and that's embarrassing and the whole time because again this group understood the power of setting the standard they said no let's do it big let's do it national and u.s soccer said yes as well we had thankfully the olympics from 96 and a large audience there to kind of back us up but we really had no idea how it would turn out and so i think that's probably the endearing message for me from 99 is that we were crazy enough to think big and dream big and we were able to pull it off and what we hoped was that would set a standard for all women's sports right like this is the mm -hmm. standard this is how you should put on a tournament this is uh, you know in what happened when you have a concerted effort with a marketing team and a local organizing committee that's out there for three years, you know, doing this and marketing it. And sadly, I think it's taken, you know, you look 20 years later, it's been slower and more laborious than I thought it would be mm -hmm. in terms of getting women's sports where they should be. And with women's soccer, you know, I look at that tournament and I thought, God, FIFA should have jumped all over this untapped market and they didn't. And they still drag their feet to a large extent on it. And it's getting better. Like the World Cups are bigger and there's more attention in other countries, but we're so far ahead of where everyone else is globally with sports in large part thanks to Title IX. And I really thought 99 would be the catalyst to change things. And it's been a lot slower than I'd hoped. Yeah, and and that's the disappointing part is 20 years later for you to look back and say, well, we're still not quite where you thought we would be. And fast forward 20 years from now, are we going to be where we want to be? That's a big question and, and a scary question too, given the landscape. But I do want to ask you, I mean, this current Women's World Cup team for USA qualified in the fall. They're going to be heading to uh, Paris next summer, which is super exciting. But um, I know you, you know this team very well and, and you broadcast about them. Uh, what do you think about them? How would you handicap them going into that tournament? I think they're excellent. And I have not always said that about this U.S. team. You know, there have been moments where I'm like, no, nah, we're not so excellent. But I think right now they look good. I, I think they they are the, the favorites going in if, if they can stay healthy. The biggest challenge for them, and, and which Jill Ellis, the, the head coach, has done a really good job of, is when they, you know, they petered out at the Olympics in the quarterfinal against Sweden. Um, so they win 2015 World Cup. They get to the quarterfinals of the Olympics in 2016, and they face a Swedish team that just sits in a really tight, compact bunker, and they couldn't solve it. They didn't have the creativity to break down that bunker. And so what Jill Ellis has said, and rightfully so, is we've got to add those players. We, get, we need younger players who are good on the ball, who are game changers. And I think they have done a good job of bringing those in, and those young kids like a Rose Lavelle or a Mallory Pugh or a Lindsay Horan, who's been playing so well and then on top of that you have a healthy Alex Morgan a healthy Tobin Heath hopefully 
and a healthy Megan Rapino, and those three have not been healthy much in the last three years. So if they can be healthy with that front line, and now they've got that younger mix uh, coming through, Julie Ertz is another young mm-hmm. star that's doing so well. This team is is really good. Much better, I think, actually, than their 2015 team, which won it all, of course. Well, I'm looking forward to that next summer. We had Carly Lloyd on the podcast earlier this season as well, a fellow Scarlet Knight. Uh, yeah, Rutgers. yeah, she yep. was great. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. so we talked yeah. a lot about that. It was pretty cool. But, you know, you mentioned something about Title IX, and I just want to circle back to that because, you know, you were part of an article that was published last March, and there was a quote in there, Julie, that really resonated with me um, speaking. You were speaking about the importance of Title IX, and, and you said – it's one of the biggest civil rights issues for of our time. The data shows most female CEOs, managers have participated in sports. It means, you know, the managers have participated in sports, which means those who don't get the opportunity are limited in their opportunities later in life. I'm certain our first female president will have played sports. I love this quote mm-hmm. because... We here on the On Her Turf podcast talk so much about the importance of sports and playing sports at a young age. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean you have to be competitive and you have to go on college scholarships like so many of us are fortunate to be able to do, but even just the grassroots level of playing sports and what it teaches young women. So talk to me about this quote, why you are so passionate about the importance of presence of team sports in someone's life, particularly young girls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, Catherine, you hit it on the head because so many people think, well, oh, I have to have an Olympic gold medal or have played at the highest level to understand right. this or to reap the benefits and the gift of sports. And it's actually why 13 years ago we launched our leadership academies in the summer. I was doing soccer camps forever and I thought, oh my God, shoot me now if I have to do soccer camps for the rest of my life, right? I just <laughs> do not want to do this. And, and, uh, And then I realized, like, oh, I don't have to just teach it. Because I thought the gift in sports is, of course, that you're playing. And it's all the physical attributes, but it's everything else. And so I thought, well, I don't just have to do soccer camps. We could do leadership camps, which talk, you know, that we've sports, you're playing. So you're getting all that activity and you're becoming a better athlete. But more importantly, you're becoming a better human being because that's what I think the gift of sports is. And the hard thing is convincing parents that, your kid doesn't have to play at the highest level. Get them involved mm-hmm. in sports, and they're going to reap the benefits in so many different ways, as we all know. And so I do really believe that. I think that this world will be changed by female athletes in a great way because they've played under pressure situations. They understand how to work within a team. They've dealt with adversity. And that's why you see them in so many different leadership positions. I mean, the challenge, of course, is now getting more women in leadership positions so that you don't have to always have the players be the ones standing up and fighting for change within their federation or organization or whatever it is, as we see happen so often. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we lived in a society where they were like, you're right, that's not right. Let's fix it. Instead of the players right. having to go, yahoo, yahoo, we're going to boycott this Olympics. We're going to boycott this world championship. I'm like, when do we, we don't want to boycott this stuff. We only have to do this because you guys aren't changing. Right, right. Yeah, it's so true. And and I find that um, you're when you talk about the parents and everybody wants their kid to be the professional athlete or the Olympic gold medalist, and let's all just take it down a notch and just let your kid play oh and let God. them be a part of the sports right? and let them be already ahead of everybody else when they graduate high school or college because they already have, as you mentioned, those traits of organization and leadership and uh, competitive drive and turning the page very quickly. I yeah. find that a lot of athletes are able <laughs> to do that as well. If something bad happens, you face adversity, well, that's okay. Yeah. You just 
just flip the page and move yeah. forward. But you know how uh, to deal with it. You yeah. do. I love. So in 2006, you co-founded the Julie Foudy Sports Leadership Academy, which, as you were talking about it, an organization focused on developing those leadership skills in teenage girls. Just take me back to why you really set out to doing that as your number one goal with this academy. Well, and I felt like that that conversation with parents was always about what flight is your kid playing? What college scholarships have they gotten already? And, you know, and these are like 13, 14 year olds. You're like, are you serious? You know, and, and I understand like college recruiting is at hand in terms of how early they're recruiting kids. But I thought, my God, if a kid and I'm, I'm living this right now because I have a, a 10 and a 12 year old. Um, and you see kids already who at 12 years old, I was just talking to a mom before this who was saying, you know, um, my son doesn't want to play and this year at soccer. And I feel like, you know, he's done with the sport. And I'm like, no, he's not done. <laughs> no, he's 12. He's fine. He's fine. A break's a good thing. Like, take a break. I actually said to my daughter this year, maybe we should just take the whole winter off of soccer. I don't understand why they play year-round anyways, to be honest with you. Izzy, I never played year-round. Like, take right. a break. Go do volleyball. Right. Go do lacrosse. And she was like, <gasps> Mom, I can't do that. So they create this panic in them that they've got to be playing all the time, every day. And then, you know, by the time they're 14, you understand why they're burnt out. I'm like, yes, a little balance is a good thing. So we created the Leadership Academy with that in mind of let's bring some joy back to what we're doing. Like, this should be fun. And it's interesting. We get the number one comment we get from kids and from parents is, thank you. That was so much fun. And I don't get the fun as much in sports. Like, it's It's gotten intense and there's a lot of pressure and we're teaching them along the way, all these other things that I think are life lessons that are going to serve you for the rest of your life. And we know, cause we now live it. It's like, and especially in television, like live television is very much like being a competitive athlete. I love live television. Cause it's like, you're on your toes. You have to think you have to adapt. You have to adjust, you know, <laughs> how are you going to deal yeah. with it? If, you know, the prompter breaks. So I just think it's such a gift and we should be talking more about that. And that's really what the leadership academies are. Well, I know you speak a lot about leadership, and I'm always very interested in your perspective on leadership. I watched your keynote address at the She Believes Summit last year. I loved, first of all, that you opened it with the little girl ski jumper, which if anybody, I mean, it's an amazing video oh, of a girl desperately trying video? to do. It's yeah. the best. So Google those listening. Google Julie Fatty's name. Click on videos. It's one of the first ones that pops up. But oh, Julie, really? I love, yeah. you know, your well, your cadence, your personality, your relatability during this speech. And you spoke a lot to the audience about leadership and you are former captain of Team USA, but you mentioned this quote, leadership is a matter of choice. In your opinion, what are the most desirable traits of a good leader and why is it a matter of choice? The thing that we get across at the Leadership Academy, and I'm a big believer in this, is that, um, and this is largely in part from just watching all these different types of leaders on the national team. You know, I, I always felt growing up that because it's what I read about in history books or you know, you talked about was leadership was a person in a position of power. So a president, a general, a, a man on a horse with a, a, you know, a tall hat and a sword. So it was a commander of something. And and then I got, or it was someone who was super vocal, right? And confident. Mm-hmm. And then I got around these women and Mia Hamm, for example, is one of the quietest, most effective leaders out there. But Mia doesn't want any part of the spotlight. I mean, she hated to give speeches when she'd accept an award. Mm. She was never the one in the middle of the huddle pounding her chest, right? It was always very cerebral, 
very private. So she'd, you know, she'd grab Abby as they were walking off the field and I'd, I'd see her with her arm around her and having a private talk at halftime. I mean, that was Mia's style and it worked, right? And just think, I always used to joke with Abby, imagine if it was you and me, the two loudies on the team all the time, that would drive <laughs> would love people that. nuts. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, we, I mean, we, I always tell the story of, you know, Abby, we had to get her a shirt and this is when she first got on the team, help, I'm talking and I can't shut up. <laughs> like, sister, shut up. So you start to value all the different styles of leadership. And I think that's a different concept that young women especially haven't heard that, oh, it's okay that I'm shy and maybe nerdy or quiet or, you know, Joy Fawcett, who was another teammate who literally didn't talk for the first 10 years on our team and became my co-captain the last four years of the team and one of the best leaders I've ever seen because she was always, her instincts were spot on. Not a lot of words to her, but when Joy spoke, you listened, right? And so mm-hmm. they hear these stories and you discover that leadership comes in all these different traits. And most important is what are you? What's your leadership style? Like be authentically you. And that it's personal, it's not positional. And so that when they hear that, that becomes a really transformational moment for a lot of young women, which is fun to see because now there's not a lack of confidence with the fact that maybe I'm quiet now. I may grow to be, you know, a boisterous, loud leader, but that's not met, that's not required. I love that. And and the fact that it's every individual is so different. And, you know, you talked about Mia Hamm. We had Annika Sorenstam on at the beginning of the year as well in the podcast. And she talked about uh, purposely coming in second. Yeah, but she was very similar to Mia in the sense of hated the spotlight. She would purposely come in second yeah. in tournaments so she, when she was a kid. So she did not yes. have to accept the, the, the prize, the trophy. I mean, that, that blows my mind. <laughs> I, but I interviewed her for something once and she told that story. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, I and know I that is the most amazing story because she didn't want to give the acceptance speech, right? And right. So her parents were totally onto her. Yeah, They're like oh At wait, the clubhouse or de- right, right. <laughs> I know. And then you're right. We you've got you and. Yeah, and your great nickname, Loudy Fowdy. Yeah. I love that. And uh, I, I played in a golf tournament with uh, Abby a couple summers ago, and I had the most fun of 18 holes that I think I've had in a long time. <laughs> she was so engaging with Aww. the fans and, and super fun to be around. But, but, but you're such a big proponent, and you talked about it in the She's Belie- She Believes um, seminar and that in the summit that, you know, you, you have this quote, own our awesome, you know, tell people how awesome we yeah. are. Because I think, yeah, I think that's yeah. important. And, and a lot of women shy away from that. We do, right? And I think we're taught that from a young age. Like, you know, be respectful, sit down, you know, look mm-hmm. at Rose over there. She's doing so great. She's being quiet, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which is true. Like, we're we're very much rule followers, and we listen like that. But it's like, oh, it's okay that the boys be rowdy and, and running around and speaking up. And so I think we're – and I, you know, I'm terrible at it as well. And, I'm, you know, I speak from experience. It's like – you know, we're always deflecting like, oh, no, if someone says, oh, you know, you're great at that. Oh, no, 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 I'm not great. You know, instead of just saying, well, thank you. And being willing to own our awesome a little bit more and say, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think I am pretty good at that. And that's okay. Like we, mm-hmm. we want to be perfect and everything we do, we women. And the problem is by the time we checked all those boxes of perfection, the opportunity has gone. And you know, I've also lived through that in my career where I've been given a choice to do something and I'm like, oh, I'm not ready for that. Instead of just raising my hand and being like, yeah, let's go. And so I think if we can pass that wisdom on to other women to, you know, to get out of their comfort zone, to raise their hand, to own their awesome a little bit more, even when they're not ready, that they'll get there, then 
you get more women again in decision making positions that I think help propel society forward. You have a, a great book out, Choose to Matter, Being Courageously and Fabulously You. Why did you decide to write this book, Julie? It started as me reaching out to Laura Gentile and Allison Overholt. Both of them were running ESPNW at the time. And I said, hey, I've been looking through all these past articles I wrote for a, an old high school website that ESPN used to run called ESPN Rise. And I used to write team building articles like every couple of weeks. And I had, a, you know, like a, an array of them on my computer when I was cleaning it out. This was years ago. And I said, hey, I think it'd be kind of easy to just put a book together, like interview these awesome women. We wrap it around these articles. And I think I, I literally think I said, I think it'd be pretty easy. What do you think? <laughs> and they were like, yes. And and Laura, literally both of them in, within five minutes responded, yes, which is, you know, again, the power of women supporting women, which I love. And um, and Laura said, you know, Disney would really be interested in this. This is a space with teenagers that they, they want to get into. Let's go pitch it to Disney. So we sat down with Disney Publishing and said, what do you think? And I basically said, I think your books stink, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> the princessy ones. I said, yeah. transparency. My daughter's eight at the time. I think the books, I don't, I won't let her read them. The mom always dies. They have to be saved by a prince, you know, all these right. things. I'm like, I can't, oh, that's I so can't funny. I avoid the Disney stores. And they're like, okay, okay, we get it. We get it. I was like, so you cannot mess with this book. This is my voice. This is me. They're like, all right, all right. And so, and they gave us the green light. And it was not easy. It was super fun. But I got to interview all these amazing women in it famous and not famous, because that's the whole point of, you know, leadership being personal, not positional. You don't have to be famous to lead with, you know, a lot of our Leadership Academy teachings. And we essentially, it was the Leadership Academy coming to life in a book form of all the things we've done over the years. And I wanted it to be very interactive so kids could write in it and they could do exercise in it. And there's activities and there's a million team building ideas. And it's fun, even though it's leadership, you know, it wasn't supposed to be. I mean, the thing we always say is, God, do we, we never want to be that person standing at a whiteboard going, here are the 10 virtues of leadership. <laughs> and uh, and so we make it silly and fun. And, and I, yeah, so it, and it was so much fun to do. It was just, it was a lot of work. I'm not sure when I'm in. Do another book, if ever. I, I, I ever. Was my, yeah, I was going to ask, <laughs> ever. Okay, so but but you've had some amazing feedback from this book. I would imagine people that have read it and people that have been inspired by it. Can you share any of the best uh, maybe comments or uh, maybe a parent who read it or, or something that really resonated with you? Yeah. Well, it's funny because, I mean, we wrote it for kind of like high school, college-age women. Mm-hmm. And I get a ton of feedback from parents saying, I read it first. I got just as much out of it. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, I read it with my kid and we did the exercises together with my daughter. Or, you know, what's really neat is you get, you get a lot of teams buying it that they give to their team. All the team gets it and they do these. Uh, in the book, we do what's called sock talks. So we literally, when I interviewed anyone in the book, we'd kick our shoes off and we'd put our feet up and we'd be in our socks. And um, and so instead of like a chalk talk, we called it sock talk. And so <laughs> I love that. people do little book studies of sock talks, which is fun. You know, they'll send pictures of them doing their sock talk. So, you know, it's mostly, again, the fact that we all can lead in our own different way. And you're more courageous than you think. So get on out there, which I hope I can be the voice and the person nudging anyone who's thinking twice about something.
Yeah, well, you exude courage and you you just really inspire all of us to want to be more courageous and stand up for ourselves as well. Um, you've had so many significant roles in women's sports, as we've talked about, but also from 2000 to 2002, you served as president of the Women's Sports Foundation. Many times when you speak, you use that great Eleanor Roosevelt quote, do one thing that scares you every day. I mean, that is such great advice because we do tend to go into our comfort zone and we need to break out of that. Oh, absolutely. You know, I have a lot of conversations with Jeff Mendoza, who is my colleague at ESPN, who does all our great work with Major League Baseball. And, you know, talk about doing one thing every day that scares you. I I always say, Jess, when they first called you and told you that they wanted you to call Major League Baseball games, was there a part of you that was like, what? No. And she's like, no, I, I, I just knew, like, I've got to do this. I've got to get out of my comfort zone. I was scared to death, but I knew I had to do it. Like, this was my chance. I I so badly wanted to do this. And, you know, you think about these decisions in life where you're not sure how it's going to turn out and how many times instead of taking that step forward and trying a new adventure, you know, we take that step back and we retreat because it's safe and it's warm and it's easy and it's comfortable. And I get that. But I really do believe like life happens when you have the courage to seek the unknown and say, I'm okay with not knowing and failing and falling flat on my face. And I think actually that's one of the best skill sets I've come to in my, I think I didn't get to it until I was in my late 30s, 40s, but in my 40s where you're honestly like, "Ah, I'm going to be fine if I fail. And (laughs) literally life opens up and it's really cool when you can get to that place. And obviously you you know, you care, you want to be successful, but you also have the courage to say, I'm going to see what's happening in that, you know, that shiny unknown. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's there's times where I'm on the air and I make a mistake or I flub up or I, I speak something I don't want to speak or say. And, and I'm, I just laugh it off and go on to the next thing. And I'm, it's not that I yeah. don't care. You're so right about that. It's not that. It's not that I didn't do my preparation for it. It's just that this happened. I'm real about it, and we're going to move forward, and, and yeah. it is what it is. So I know we've taken and, up and a lot of your so, time. And it's so oh. endearing as, you know, as a viewer, right? Because yeah. everyone does that. Like, yeah, I usually panicking, end up laughing. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You start laughing with them. You're like, oh, I like her. Yeah, she's, okay. <laughs> she's not perfect. That's good. Um, we a couple of quick questions before we let you go, Julie, that we like to ask people at the end, kind of fun, different questions. But you're so busy. You're doing so much. You are the mother to your daughter, Isabel, and your son, Declan. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure if you even have one? Oh, guilty pleasure. Um, donuts once Ooh. a week. Um, usually I like them larger than my head. Uh, what kind? And uh, oh, big stodgy like cinnamon rolls, like the big nice. thick gooey ones, gooey like, ones, literally yep. bigger than my head. <laughs> like if they're bigger than my head, it's a bonus. Um, it. And then uh, guilty pleasure, I would say I kind of had this weird. I'm not a shopper at all. I, I've never said this out loud, actually, Catherine. This is the beauty of podcasts. <laughs> I I kind of have a TJ Maxx problem. <laughs> Nice. TJ Maxx or Home Goods or both? <laughs> both. And oh my goodness. Scary enough, a TJ Maxx and a Home Goods, both as separate stores, like two down from each other, opened up like a mile from my house last year. Oh no. And so literally, like, if my husband will be like, Hey, honey, what are you doing? Where are you? I'll be like, Um, <laughs> TJ Maxx. 
He'll be like, why are you there again? I'm like, they have these bar stools in the back for like 60 bucks that I think we need. Oh, that's <laughs> like, awesome. Oh, my God. It is such an addicting store. I, I love it. Well, you oh know what? God. Mike Tarico said there was not going to be one thing that he doesn't already know about us. I don't know if he knows that about you, yeah. but I don't that might be does. the one thing. There you go. Okay. So we, we've he accomplished said, our number one goal with this pleasure. podcast. He would have said her guilty pleasure is a very large glass of wine as well. So that's so obvious. <laughs> Everyone's guilty pleasure. On his but, deck at the lake, hey, right? I don't think he yeah. knows about TJ Maxx. Well, there you go. I love it. Oh, Julie, it's been so fun chatting with you. Um, We've got National Girls and Women's Day in sports coming up on February 6th. I know all of us in sports are aware of that and looking forward to it. And it's just been so great to talk to you. You're just a rock star and so fun to to listen to. I look forward to the opportunity to meeting you in person and seeing your continued success as well. Good luck with the podcast. You're going to have fun with it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for all you do, darling. Our thanks to Julie Foudy for chatting with us today. You can download the On Her Turf podcast wherever you download your podcasts. Let us know what you think, and we want to hear from you, so be sure to chime in. You can also follow us on Instagram at On Her Turf. Have a great rest of your day, everyone, and be sure to join us next time for the On Her Turf podcast.